Well, Merry Christmas. It is a wonderful privilege to be here and to bring the Word of God to God's people. And the message today, according to our liturgical calendar, is the Nativity as told by the evangelist John. John does not tell us the particulars of the birth in Bethlehem like Matthew and the more familiarly Luke. But he steps back and shows us the grandeur of what the nativity means, what Christmas really means. He writes words that change the world. This is his text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. He is the Word of God who speaks in Genesis. Ten words God speaks and creates all the world. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word, here it is, became flesh. The immortal became mortal. What a mystery. The one who created all things was given a created body. All for us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a mystery is this, our Christian faith. John says the Word created everything. He begins it like Moses in the beginning. But he's telling about a new beginning. Moses began in the beginning in Genesis and tells us about Adam being brought forth from the earth. Adam who had no, no father but God. John is telling us about a new beginning. In this beginning, a new Adam will come forth. Like the first, he will have no father but God. The one who's coming forth this time, however, who will enter the world not in grandeur and in splendor, but the eternal, omnipresent God will enter the world through the birth canal of a Jewish maiden. 
the Word made flesh in order that He might dwell among us and share in our sufferings and bear our sin. You see, His body was prepared as a sacrifice. The one who made all things with the word of his power came into the world as an infant. The word infant comes from the Latin. Latin. It's the key characteristic that designates a newborn. That's where we get the name. Infant comes from infans, which means unable to speak. An infant, a newborn, as you know, is incapable of articulate speech. The eternal Word, who created all things, humbles himself to become a child who must cry for his needs to be made known. That is our Lord, and it's a great mystery that we cannot comprehend in its entirety. Well, John tells us here who Jesus is, who that baby was, what he became. But he doesn't tell us why he came until two chapters later. John tells us why he came. Why did he come? He tells us that in John 3.16. Certainly the most famous verse in all the Bible. There is so much, there is much gospel in this verse. It has saved, this verse has saved millions upon millions of people. What is this verse that has such power in it? Think it through with me for a minute. I think it must be written on every believing heart here. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have, actually, the word should be rendered, everlasting life. Just like many of us learned it, originally. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Familiar and yet profound. It was written originally in Greek before it was written on our hearts. Greek is different from English. Words that are emphasized can be emphasized by their placement within the sentence. It's a highly inflected language, so it works a little differently than English. You could never tell from looking at this translation that there is one word that the evangelist has selected to emphasize, to italicize, to bold, to underscore. One word in this magnificent verse of gospel. What is that word, would you imagine, that the evangelist is so captured by, he he makes it the centerpiece of the whole sentence? What is that one word that is so powerful. There are seven of them. You would think, wouldn't you, that the most significant word, the word that John would be emphasizing, is the word God. 
the first cause of all things. He is the Arche. He is the Logos. In the beginning, all the philosophers before Socrates are looking for what is the Arche. And then after Socrates, they're looking for what is the Logos. John puts it together within the context of Holy Scripture and says Jesus is the first cause of everything. Surely he is divine. He was God. He is God. Surely God is the emphatic word, but it is not God. Then it must be, mustn't it? It must be love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Surely it is love. The most comprehensive word of all. A love that would come from heaven to earth. A love that would leave the place in heaven surrounded by angels crying out all the time, day and night, holy, holy, holy. The train of his robe filling all of heaven with glory. That he would divest himself of that robe of splendor and come to earth in the nakedness of childbirth. Surely it is love. He did that for us. Surely love is the emphatic word. But it's not love. Well then, surely it must be the world. The comprehensivity of the love of Jesus that reaches to everyone Whatever class and station of life, doesn't he say that whoever believes, he opens these doors so wide that any can come in? Surely it must be the comprehensive comprehensivity of the gospel, its reach to anyone, so that none of us needs to despair of salvation. Surely that is the great mystery, the marvel that John the Evangelist is emphasizing. The world that Jesus, that God loved. But it's not the world. That's not the emphatic word. It's not whoever believes. And certainly it must be he gave. He gave. God gave. What gifts have we received at Christmas? What gifts do we give? The greatest gift of all is this one, is it not? God gave his only begotten Son. Surely that is the word that John is emphasizing, but it is not even gave. It is not even this. His only Son, his unique Son, there is none like Jesus. Surely that is the word that's emphasized. That's the grandeur of the gift that's given. Surely it must be Jesus, but it's not his only begotten Son. Well then, what does He save us from? Perish, that we would perish. What does He save us from? He saves us from death and hell, from sin, from death, and from hell, the wrath of God, that we might not perish. That is the promise of the Gospel. That's why He came, to deliver us from that everlasting death. And being in a Christless universe forever. Surely that is what it is by perishing. He came to prevent that from happening to us, but it is not even that. Well then, certainly, what is left? 
like the seven sons of Jesse. They're so magnificent. It must be one of these. God loved the world that whoever believes he gave his only begotten Son that we might not perish but have everlasting life, but it is none of these. That is John's heart in this grand verse. The Word, the Word that is given greatest place in this verse is the little adverb, so. For God so loved the world. The evangelist can't get beyond that. A word of measure, a word of extent, a word of vastness. It modifies, it's an adverb, it modifies the verb he gave. He gave what? He gave everything. He so loved. He so loved. It modifies love. It makes love without any limit or extent. So, that is our salvation. That is the word that has captured the heart of John and should capture our hearts as well if we're to understand this grand verse. A word of measure he so loved. How do we know how much we are loved by Father God? How do you know that these things are true? John has already told us that Jesus created the world. He created all things. He created the world. And he gave us minds to comprehend it. But there's something interesting about the human mind. We do not have the capacity to comprehend the limits of either time or space. That addles our mind. We can't conceive of it. Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, was the first one to point that out. We can't imagine these limits. They're beyond even our imagination. What are the horizons of reason itself? We can't conceive the end of space. Think with me for a minute. Go in your mind's imagination to the very limits of space at the outer ends of the universe. What do you imagine that to be? It addles your mind, you can't conceive. If there is a limit to the universe, what's beyond the limit? If there is a limit to time, who can go to the very beginning or the very ending? What was before the beginning? What will come after the ending? Our minds are so constituted that we cannot conceive of space and time. We don't have the capacity to understand these boundless dimensions. We don't have them. And that is the universe that God gave us. Why? Why give us so vast a world 
How far is up? How deep is down? Why is the world so vast? God gives us a world with four cardinal points, north, south, east, west. Let me tell you why he makes the world like he did. How far is the east from the west? I can't imagine that. But I can certainly understand what the psalmist says. When the psalmist, the old Hebrew singer, says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What a word of comfort. As far as the east from the west, I can't imagine how far he's taken away my sin. What an illustration he made of his love for us, even in the world he created. How far is up? How deep is down? Why did he make a world that is boundless? Infinite, indefinite? It's so we can understand the love of Christ, as our apostle told us. It's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He gave his son because he loved you that deep, that high, and that broad. It's the love of God that is beyond our own imagination. And what is the promise to anyone who believes? You believe what? You believe that Christ came. As a substitute, he died the death I deserved in my sin. He lay in a grave. It wasn't his grave. It was my grave. And he came forth to give me his righteousness, having taken away my sin. He came forth in resurrection power. That's the gospel. And what is the promise? If you believe this gospel, what, is, what, what does he give you? He's always giving. Like Paul said, who can imagine the love of God if he loved us that much when we were yet sinners, filled with corruption and vile? He loved us to give us Christ. What will be the measure of his love for us when we stand before him in the perfect righteousness of Jesus? What more can he give? Well, he gives you this, everlasting life. What is everlasting life? What does that mean to you? 
everlasting. Only God has eternal life. There's no beginning and no end. But He gives us life everlasting. We have a beginning. But Christian believer, if you have trusted in Jesus, your life will have no end. What does that mean? We measure time by motion. Aristotle is the one who articulated that, although we had done it for centuries. We think in terms of months and years, days and weeks. We have a year. How long is a year? Well, it's the length of time that it takes for the earth to rotate around the sun. That's a year. We can comprehend that. We can think of it in terms of its four seasons. But our sun has a year, too. Did you know that? Our sun is circling within the galaxy, the great galaxy. It rotates, too, around a central axis. How long is that solar year? How long does it take for the sun to make one circuit around this galaxy that God has made? It takes 220 million years. You see, if Aristotle is right, the universe that God has made is filled with giant clocks that summon us to a new imagination of time and space. Who needs a clock that is calibrated to 220 million years? A relatively small star within our galaxy. Who needs a clock like that? You will need a clock like that one day. If this promise is true, which it certainly is, that you have been given everlasting life, these dimensions will make sense in that great day. You're imagining a world. This world is like you're in the womb. You can't imagine the grandeur of the world that awaits as we wait to be newborn into the world that God has made for us. Different dimensions, different orders of magnitude, different dimensions of space and time, stretching the limits of our faculties to comprehend what? For God so loved the world. And that means you. One somebody, you. Some, somebody, anybody, you. All who believe, for God so loved you. And that is why we have Christmas. This morning, I was listening to some Christmas music. And this one of my favorite hymns, this one stanza, 
sums it all up. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Father, we thank you that you so loved the world, that you gave us your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen.